0: Hey, good morning, Reach Montreal and everybody else joining us online this weekend. Um, I'm excited to start a new series today. Uh, Before I do that, though, uh, just a few things to draw your attention to. Uh, First of all, uh, for you, if you are a part of Reach Montreal, uh, we are working on a uh, discussion, a tool, a conversation around uh, the racial tensions and some of the um, aftermath, especially in the U.S., um, following George Floyd's Uh, Death, And we want to make sure that we're doing that from uh, not only a Canadian perspective, but also from a Christian perspective. Uh, So uh, keep your eyes open. We're going to be working on some kind of a resource or a discussion that we can offer to you as we navigate that uh, and try to do it in light of the gospel and do it well. Um, Secondly, uh, look out for giving statements. Uh, If you uh, attend Reach Montreal um, or are a member, uh, we try to every... um, few months give you a quarterly update of your giving and just to keep a record of that and so we're working on getting those out to you this coming week Uh, so keep your eyes open for those coming to you and third and finally uh, if you are a member an active member of reach montreal uh, we have a a draft of our budget for 2020 and 2021 And we're going to be uh, having a meeting June 22nd uh, on Zoom, unfortunately, uh, to approve that budget. And so what we're going to do is we're going to provide you with the proposed budget ahead of time. And you're going to have a couple weeks to look at it. So if you agree and you approve of the budget, you don't need to attend the meeting on June 22nd. Uh, That's if you have any questions or any things that need to be clarified for you. Uh, We're going to provide you a way to just provide uh, your approval and kind of vote yes uh, proxy by email so that uh, for some of you who are zoomed out um, or you don't have any questions that need to be answered about the budget, you can do that just by email. Um, Okay, so new series looking specifically at scripture, okay? So this new series is called Scripture, God's Word, Our Lives. So before we jump in, let me pray for us as we do that. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God who does reveal yourself. You're a God that doesn't just stay and stand far off, but that you come to us, that you speak to us, that you move in and through creation and history. And we're thankful that we have a record of that, a revelation of who you are. And so we just ask that even as we enter into this series, wherever we are on our relationship to the Bible, however we feel about the Bible right now, uh, that God, you would just bring us to a healthy place that you would encourage us where we need it so that we can come and be good students of this as a way to see you clearly and know you better. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me start with a question. What is your current relationship with the Bible? What is your current relationship with the Bible? How do you feel about the Bible right now? And, and be honest, right? Be very honest. Um, confused? Uh, frustrated? Uninterested? Uh, maybe for you, you're in a position where it's like, well, I don't, I don't really know. Um, or the Bible just seems kind of, I mean, interesting, but irrelevant, I mean, it's an interesting ancient record of things, but kind of irrelevant for my modern life. Um, Others of you, you might be very interested, very curious, maybe even inspired to continue to grow and study and learn more. And others of you on a day-to-day basis, as you try to approach the Bible, maybe you feel unengaged, disengaged, uh, bored, not able to really connect with what the Bible is and what the Bible is saying. Now, right from the jump, as we get into this, it's really important to be honest about our relationship to the Bible, how we feel about it, what we believe about it. Why? Well, because the Bible is a complex set of literature with some very strange things um, and, and even troubling and disturbing things. There's real moral and ethical and personal questions and challenges uh, around things that are in the Bible, things that are described in the Bible, and that's rightfully so. And so, so we want space to kind of feel that kind of space to be honest about our current relationship with the Bible as we go through this series. Um, the Bible is full of a lot of strange things. There's descriptions of gruesome wars. There's graphic depictions of things. There's graphic depiction of, of oppression in different forms. There's very specific teachings about you know, human sexuality and marriage and divorce and heaven and hell and life now and eternity. Uh, there's other passages that when you, at first glance, they, they seem to suggest even more troubling things like genocide or ethnic cleansing. I mean, what what do we do with all of that? How do we make sense of these things, especially from our modern perspective in our modern lives? Uh, just for fun this week, I, I looked into Google searches, some of the most popular Google searches about the Bible, what does the Bible say about, and then filling in the blanks. And here was the top, here were the top searches From the Bible, divorce, marriage, sex, cremation, tattoos, forgiveness, gambling, death, drinking, hell, bacon, naturally, acceptance, cussing, and shrimp. Those are the most popular searches today about the Bible. Now, what is missing from that? Something very important is missing from that. Well, the the God of the Bible. Those are all topics. Those are all questions about topics. And my, my, my first kind of uh, pushback on this is that, is the Bible an answer book for personal questions and struggles that we have? Well, yes. But is it more than that? Well, of course. Yes, it is. It's much more than that. Another challenge that we have with the Bible is that there are so many different interpretations of what the Bible actually does say. So moving one more layer kind of deep, uh, not only are there things in the Bible that are hard to even comprehend as they're described, but then there's also varying interpretations of what the Bible actually does say. And as a church, it's, it's hard work. It's tough work to sift through. What are some of the primary and secondary issues in the Bible? I mean, what are the right hills to kind of die on as far as our beliefs and our lifestyle? Uh, the Bible has been used, the interpretations of the Bible have been used to do not only awful things, but also the most beautiful things that have happened throughout history. All in the name of the Bible says. So how do we understand this? Uh, great uh, novelist Mark Twain uh, said that the Bible is both the poison and the cure for so much of the world's problems. And he's right. Right. A quick glance at history shows us that, that the Bible has been used to rationalize some of the best things in history and also some of the most awful things in history. One example would be the Bible being used to rationalize the transatlantic slave trade, but also the Bible being the driving force behind the abolishment of slavery and the civil rights movement. How can that be possible? Well, I'm going to suggest that most of our problems that we're feeling, most of these tensions, these real challenges, aren't actually problems with the Bible, but our interpretation and application of the Bible. And this series is going to help push us deeper into that to examine and kind of re-examine some of the things that we've done with this. Another trend today that is becoming more and more common in our North American experience of the Bible is that many actually, if they're honest, see the Bible as an obstacle to faith rather than a tool for faith. Well, because it's full of strange things, supernatural things, culturally embedded situations, descriptions of things and prescriptions for others, and it's very challenging to sift through this. This has kind of led to a phenomenon that John Collins uh, behind the Bible project has called a post Bible Christian, which of course, there's really no such thing, but it's this reality that um, every year, every few months, we kind of see this phenomenon of a, another uh, deconversion story of a, of a, a Christian figure or a public figure or a Christian celebrity where there's a deconversion story. And honestly, most of them point to tensions in the Bible. Tensions and challenges in the Bible that they felt they could not resolve. So it it actually led them away from faith, not as a way to go deeper into it. So how do we resolve this tension? These are all really important questions. And I wanted to introduce some of them to get us thinking as we get into this new series. Because if we're honest with ourselves and honest with each other, I mean, we're the church after all, no place for honesty, Right. But if we're honest with each other about this, because many of us don't know how to feel about the Bible, we also don't quite know what to do with the Bible. Because we don't really know how to feel about the Bible, we also don't really know how to read and study the Bible. There's a kind of a funny saying that the Bible is the world's best-selling book that no one reads, right? And if asked, you know, Have you ever read the Bible cover to cover the entire thing? Or do you read the Bible every day? Many of us would have to honestly answer no. No, we don't. Or even when I do, I actually struggle to apply it to my modern life, to actually understand it and make sense of this ancient thing for my current present life. And one of the biggest weaknesses in the Western church today is, of course, biblical illiteracy is our inability to read the Bible, our inability to kind of go deep and understand it. And I'm not going to start with stats to kind of shame us into wanting to read the Bible because that stats don't change our heart. But I honestly think that we don't um, struggle with biblical literacy in the West because we don't value the Bible. We do value the Bible. We value it. We believe that it's important. We believe that it's true. But because for many, we don't know how to read the Bible, We end up struggling, and we just don't. And that's not just the case with the Bible. Uh, One in four North Americans read zero books last year, right? Uh, We don't read the same as we used to in previous generations. With the internet and the digital age, it's changed the way that we process And look for information it has. And there's amazing positive things that come out of that. But there's also a cost uh, that comes with that too. Where now we're consuming video content and podcasts, audio content, or short blogs or Facebook or Twitter sound bites. And that's the primary way that we get our information. And this has had an impact on us inside and outside of the church, by shifting from reading and kind of deep study to digital soundbites or social media clips, what's actually happening is that you and I are losing our ability to pursue meaning, to comprehend, remember, and learn complex and nuanced ideas. There's no complexity or nuance in soundbites there 's a superficial understanding, but not a a deep one and so, if we lose our ability to think uh, about complex and nuanced ideas it 's going to be very difficult to apply that to life. Why? Well, because life is complex and nuanced, is it not? And so we need to be honest with ourselves. I want to give you space to be honest throughout this series about your current position and relationship to the Bible. And I also wanna encourage us to go deeper. I want us to kind of question our answers and allow the Bible to question our answers to certain things as we re-enter into the Bible to look at what it is, how to get at it, how to interpret it, how to apply it. And we're gonna to try to answer all of those things throughout this series. Um, I'm reading a book right now by a pastor um, in the States called uh, J. Kim. And he says this, and it's, it's brilliant about kind of this struggle with the Bible right now. Listen to what he says. He says, the Bible is being affected by the digital age, you and I, as we turn the grand narrative of scripture into a series of easily digestible, bite-sized tidbits for personal encouragement and self-help style motivation. We're changing the church experience from an extended meal at a dining table into a truncated series of tweets and we're losing our aptitude for nuance generosity and engagement and he goes on in, a little bit later and says the speed of the digital age has made us impatient the choices of the digital age has age has made us shallow and the individualism of the digital age has made us isolated i think he's right And I think this is something that there is some course correction needed on this. If we're going to approach the Bible well and read it and study it faithfully and then apply it practically, okay? So that's what this series is going to be all about. We're going to try to get at some of these questions and others around what the Bible actually is, um, how we got the Bible, uh, what's the makeup of it, um, is the Bible trustworthy, why? Why? And what are some of the questions we have about its trustworthiness? Uh, Is the Bible authoritative and sufficient for life as a follower of Jesus and and why? Um, Also, really important, going to look at how do we interpret it? What's the best way to actually interpret, interpret and understand, and then apply the Bible as individuals, yes, but specifically as individuals that are within a community? And that's going to be really important as we look at that. Also, how do we understand the different translations of the Bible? Is there such thing as an inspired English version or an authorized English version to all my King James fans? Now, last, my pastoral concern, my pastoral hope and concern. Just hear my heart on this. We do need some course correction on how we understand the Bible, but even more, we need to understand what the Bible is for. We need some course correction on what the Bible is supposed to be used for. Now, today you hear it a lot. Well, the Bible says, and then it's followed by, I mean, whatever position or perspective or uh, personal agenda or view, as if the Bible is really just a a prop or an accessory to kind of carry around and quote when it's convenient to support certain ideas. Uh, In the news this week, we saw President Trump in the US use the Bible quite literally as a prop in a photo um, in a photo shoot, well, the entire nation is deeply in need of the words from the Bible. Now, is is scripture more than that? Well, of course, but scripture also can become a blunt weapon used to kind of bludgeon people with views and perspectives that really are personally contrived rather than being seen and used as this razor sharp sword that has precision and it's able to lead us deep into the treasure that the Bible really is. So today we're left with a kind of a superficial reading of the Bible, a a quoting of the Bible, a use of the Bible as an accessory or a prop that really just fuels rhetoric and language around fear and, and anger and toxicity and, end times conspiracies and dangerous interpretations from anyone who can put a video on Facebook or YouTube. So we have to be discerning readers of scripture. We have to learn how to use scripture and what scripture is supposed to be used for. Because scripture isn't something to just be quoted or critiqued or read as a way to support what we feel, think, and want. Scripture is the self-disclosure of the living God and it's to be understood and applied not just as individuals alone in our rooms having our personal devotion, but in the context of community as a people who are transformed by this God and sent out into the world. Now that changes everything, it really does. It's not just a book to critique and ask questions of. It's actually a library of books that critiques us and asks questions of us. It questions our answers to things. It questions our views of morality. It questions our worldview about ethics and what's right and true and good and and beautiful. It questions our hearts and our minds and then presents us with a true and better story that does offer real hope, that does offer good news ultimately in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now we need that today. We need that desperately today, especially today. So that's my heart. That's my pastoral heart for this. And that's just kind of a way to introduce this series. So here's what we're gonna do in our time that we have left. Two things, just to kind of dip our toes in this morning as we start. We're gonna try to answer two introductory questions. First, what exactly is the Bible? What is it? And two, how did Jesus relate to the Bible? I asked you what your relationship to the Bible was. We wanna start and look at what Jesus's relationship to the Bible was and how did he approach it? All right, so first and foremost, what exactly is the Bible? Now, that is a massive question with lots of different implications. But in a really simple way, I think Tim Mackey from The Bible Project, he's done a really good job offering us something um, of a definition. And I've I've taken his definition and adapted it a little bit here. Here's going to be our working definition for the Bible. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that tells one unified story leading us to Jesus. Okay, one more time. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human that tells one unified story leading us to Jesus. Now, this definition is going to be really important as we unpack it throughout the rest of the series. Um, But really, really really quickly, even though bible the word bible means book it 's actually a library of books right in fact it wasn 't until about fifteen hundred years after Jesus that this library of writings actually became the book that you and I get to hold in our hands or flip through on our um, device and so it 's a long time it, it became a book, but it really is a library of books and we 're going to spend some time looking at that throughout the series. But the Bible as one book is really a bound together library of 66 different books and writings, 39 books in the Old Testament. That's what Jesus saw and used as his scripture. Uh, He calls it the law and the prophets to talk about the different sections within that library of literature. And then there's 27 books or writings in the New Testament. And we know that that is after Jesus written by the eyewitnesses to Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection, and then the movement of the church after Jesus. Why is this important? Well, it's very key because a book, one book, tends to have one author, one genre, one perspective written at one time. Whereas a library of books includes many writings spanning several genres written from different perspectives in different times of history. And that is the Bible. The Bible actually has over 40 human authors uh, from very different backgrounds with very different human experiences. We've got kings. We've got peasants. We've got farmers. We've got shepherds. We've got fishermen. We have priests. We have prophets. We have scholars. We have tax collectors, all spanning three different continents, modern Asia, Africa, and Europe. Over the course of 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now that is the library of scripture. And that library includes not only just different human authors, but also different genres of literature. And this is very important. And we're going to see this as a key for how we interpret the Bible over the series. But we have many different genres. We have story. Uh, We have history, we have biography, we have narratives, we have genealogies, we have poetry, we have the apocalyptic literature that we really don't know what to do with, right? We have parables, which is his own form that Jesus uses for teaching. And we have royal records and edicts, lots of different genres. And the Bible actually is made up of three main genres. Even though we have all of those different ones, there's three main genres that make up the library of scripture. The first is story. 45% of the Bible is is narrative. It's story. 33% is poetry. And 23% is kind of the rest. Discourse, teachings, letters, that kind of thing. So when you look at it that way, uh, as a library of literature, most of the Bible is not rules or laws or answers to personal questions that I can Google, but actually story and poetry. Story and poetry. Now, if that's the, the, the main makeup of our Bible, if most of our Bible is story and poetry, that changes how we read it. That changes how we approach it. Why? Well, because different genres of writing require different reading strategies. And you and I know that. You don't have to kind of do a literature class in, in first year university to understand that. There's different rules to read different forms of literature. You and I do it intuitively. For example, you and I do not read The Hobbit, a microwave manual, a poem, and a text message all the same way. You don't. You read all four of those very differently. Why? Because you intuitively know the rules of interpretation of each of those things. If you read The Hobbit and a text message and a microwave manual the same way, you would end up not being able to actually get meaning out of those Uh, Documents. So you need to understand the rules on how to uh, read these different genres. But all genres convey truth. All different genres, all written forms convey something meaningful, something about truth, but in different ways. And the Bible is a library of writings that all convey truth, but do so in a different way. And so require different tools. Different expectations of those writings, different postures even when approaching those genres. Um, the nerdy term for this that we'll come back to in the in the series is called hermeneutics. Okay, say hermeneutics. There you go. I heard you. Okay, through your TV screen. Okay, hermeneutics. And hermeneutics really is just a way to say it's it's the art and science of biblical interpretation. And we need hermeneutics. We need. Uh, really good science and art of interpretation of the Bible because the Bible is a sophisticated and complex library of literature. It is. So take a deep breath if you feel intimidated, if your current relationship to the Bible is one where you feel overwhelmed. um, No wonder we struggle to connect with the Bible for 15 minutes in our morning Devo when we understand that this is actually a complex sophisticated and varied library of amazing things not to just be quoted or sat with for moments but to actually kind of be mined and sifted through for a lifetime it's it's amazing and it actually frees us up to not feel so pressured and kind of a guilt trip of like why don't i get more from this as i approach it and i actually think uh, in our Western view of kind of personal application of scripture, we've missed the beauty of the complexity of it and the role of community in how we read it and apply it. And we're going to unpack that even more throughout the series. But I do think that oversimplifying scripture and downplaying kind of the scope and the span and the beauty of it has actually led us to oversimplify the message of it and to moralize Uh, Things that really were not supposed to be morals of stories, but instead an invitation to be embedded into the true story of reality that God himself is inviting us into. And it's so beautiful when we understand that. So in a nutshell, what is the Bible? Well, it's it's many books, but one story. The Bible has many human authors, but one divine author. And throughout the series, we're going to try to bring our eyes from kind of the micro level up to the macro to really understand and start to explore the overarching narrative of scripture. If most of scripture is story or narrative, it's really important to understand what story is scripture telling. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees. We want to be able to recognize the trees, but that it actually bring our eyes up to understand the beauty of the forest because the Bible and its redemptive scope and its kind of grandness actually invites us to experience the story that it tells. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, he sums this up and kind of offers this encouragement for us and says this, the reason for our confusion around the Bible is that we usually read it as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. It is not. Blunt, but true, (laughs) right? It is not. Rather, it comprises a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God through Jesus Christ has come and will come to put things right. I love that. I love that because it's an invitation to go deeper. It's an invitation to go deeper and wider at the same time as we approach Scripture. So that's how we're going to get started with what the Bible is. And then, secondly, How did Jesus relate to the scripture? How did Jesus relate to the Bible? What did he say about the Bible? Well, Jesus had a very, very important and close relationship with the Bible. Jesus was, after all, a Jewish rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi who taught what? The scriptures. Now, when Jesus was on earth, the scriptures were what we now know as the Old Testament. And we'll we'll talk about how those came in to be, but, but they're called either the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, um, or even at, at a deeper nerdy level, the Tanakh, okay? And so that was Jesus's Bible. That was Jesus's scripture. And he had a very high view of scripture. He had a high view of the inspiration of scripture, the authority of scripture, and the application of scripture. And he took it very seriously. He did, and we should too. As followers of Jesus, we want to approach scripture the same way that Jesus did. A um, few examples. Jesus says that scripture cannot be broken in John 10. But there's something about it that's solid. It cannot be broken by, by anything outside of it. Okay? Uh, another time Jesus says you are wrong talking to the religious teachers, which is already, um, I love when Jesus does that, right? You're, you're wrong. Okay, you're wrong. Why? Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. And those two are very connected. He does that in Matthew 22, where we don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. These two things are intricately woven together that the power of God is actually experienced through the scripture and scripture points us to understand the power of God. And Jesus upholds that as very important. And last example, Jesus says to the religious teachers, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? See the connection there, that's in Matthew 22 again where Jesus is actually making a connection between reading the scriptures and what God says. It's been spoken to you by God, but it's come to us in written form in scripture. Okay, so just as an introductory note, Jesus repeatedly and clearly confirms the historical reliability and the authority of scripture, of what we have as a revelation of God, a written record of who God is, his nature and character, our human condition and what God has always done about it and offers to do about it in the future and finish this amazing kind of work that he has been at. Okay. I want to draw our attention to one key example of this this morning. It's in Mark 12 where Jesus is talking about scripture and he makes a really, it's a very quick comment, but it's really important for how we understand the relationship between kind of human authors and divine author of scripture. And here's what he says in Mark 12, verse 35 through 36. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, is the son of David? Okay, so he's, he's living a thousand years after David. So the question is, how can he say that he is the son of David. Well, David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Okay, so what, what's happening in this passage is Jesus is quoting Psalm 110 and David makes a comment, right? Makes a comment, uh, Jesus is showing us that when David spoke, it was being car- he was being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what is Jesus doing here? It's really important. Jesus is holding the divine and human character of scripture together. Okay. He didn't say, you know, David speaking from his own experience or sharing his own opinion for that culture, or David with his imagination told us this fairy tale, right? Or David speaking from the way that he viewed God at that time. Or David oppressing us with his male and patriarchal views and power, right he doesn't doesn't start there. He actually says that David speaking but carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus also doesn't read it as David being in a trance, right that he's kind of in a trance, dictating the words of God kind of as a mystic transcendental experience that David isn't being inspired and overshadowed by the Spirit to kind of become a mechanical robot, like robotic instrument uh, where he's kind of possessed by God, but that Jesus actually holds both of these things. He says, David speaking by the Holy Spirit. Super, super important. He Jesus shows us that Scripture is neither just a human invention, nor is it, a dictation by God free of human involvement, free of human experience, free of human giftedness, but that it's both. That scripture is both divine inspiration and human communication. Both at the same time, perfectly balanced, simultaneously true. Um, second Peter, I know we just left first Peter, but in second Peter, he says something very similar where he says, Prophets. Though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and maybe the most famous uh, New Testament passage about this is the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy in Second Timothy three sixteen, where he calls Scripture sacred writings that are God breathed, right? That they're God breathed; they're breathed out by God. So, so what is Scripture according to Jesus? What is Scripture according to the New Testament? Well, it's God's word through human words. It's God's breath through human voices. A good example of this is when I kind of listen to Prince play the guitar or Ray Charles play the piano or Louis Armstrong play the trumpet, you can see my musical um, preferences right there, I'm struck by the beauty of that music. I'm struck by the mastery that they have over that instrument. But the question is, is the music coming from the instrument or is the music coming from the musician? Yes, the music's coming from both. And that's a good way to understand scripture. That's how Jesus kind of holds this divine and human tension that, um, of scripture. That God uh, orchestrating and demonstrating his nature and his beauty in and through human instruments across history. Uh, Andrew Wilson in his book, Unbreakable, talking about the unbreakable nature of scripture, like Jesus says, uh, he, he sums up this idea of inspiration this way. The Bible writers are the instruments of revelation. A trumpet here and an oboe there and a saxophone here. And they all make different sounds. But the musician, the skilled artist who fills them all with his breath and ensures the tune is played correctly is the Holy Spirit. That's kind of how inspiration works. I love how he finishes and just says that's kind of because it's, it, this is, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to understand this and uh, experience like a balance in this tension of the humanness and the godness of scripture. But it's really important to understand Jesus speaking of inspiration, not mechanically, but, but organically that God doesn't kind of over, um, overlook human experiences and culture and history and language, but that he actually uses it and communicates through it. Now, why is this important, especially at the beginning of this series? Well, because without a balance, a balanced view of both the divine and human fingerprints on scripture, we end up unable to see what scripture reveals about the nature and character of God and the condition of humanity. And we need to be able to see both clearly. We don't need to scrub the divine fingerprints off of scripture. And we also don't don't need to scrub the human fingerprints off of scripture because Jesus doesn't. Jesus holds both the divine and human character of scripture in perfect tension because it offers us a true revelation of who God is and a true revelation of the human condition and the story of reality. And it's beautiful in that tension. It's beautiful with that nuance. So it's good at the beginning of this series to see the Bible first and foremost as both divine and human, as both scripture and literature. Um, This is what we'll call kind of the incarnational view of scripture, an incarnational view of the Bible. And that comes from the idea of the incarnation. That Jesus is both, what, divine and human. He is fully divine and fully human simultaneously. In John 1, we hear about the logos, the word of God, becoming what? Flesh. The Bible points us to that reality coming into human history. That Jesus, as being fully God and fully human, the Bible too is fully God and fully human simultaneously. So these are not contradictory things. These are actually complementary things to be held in tension. And our interpretation of scripture will suffer when we overemphasize either the humanness or the divineness of scripture at the expense of the other. So we want to have a balance in that. So I'll put the question to you. What's your leaning? Where do you lean? Where do you feel kind of that discomfort of like, oh yeah, I understand the humanness, but it's, it's inspired, it's the word of God. Or some of you are like, I understand it's the word of God, I, I trust it, I, I believe it's true, but I can't ignore the humanness that it actually was written by human beings. I just want to encourage you to resist the urge to move too quickly to either side and just get comfortable sitting in the nuance, sitting kind of in that tension. The reason why this is important, especially today, is because we end up caught in this argument, kind of screaming at each other uh, between kind of two camps, two different views of this. Uh, the first is kind of so called conservatives who you know the bible is god 's word it 's infallible period, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it right you 've heard that before, and then there's kind of another side of this argument, another camp where who are the kind of the so called progressives. Who kind of push back and go yeah but it was written by human beings so maybe let's just kind of look at what the human perspective about god was in that cultural moment and both camps have their strengths but both are equally problematic for different reasons the first kind of like the so-called conservative view almost has like a golden tablet view of scripture That it was divinely dictated in its manuscripts and kind of like dropped out of heaven, free of real tensions, free of things to wrestle with, free of conflicts, free of real human experiences to think about and interpret. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Now, is that true? Well, there's something true about that. But what that ends up doing is it actually ignores what we talked about a minute ago. It ignores hermeneutics. It ignores interpretation. It ignores the process of interpretation and how we arrive at what does the Bible say and what happens when we have a tension of interpretation. So this view uh, ends up being far too simplistic. The Bible says, followed by whatever interpretation someone holds is not the same as working through how to interpret the Bible. And I think what's happened is in this kind of camp and the way that we've spoken of it, in a way, uh, as, a, as an attempt to underline the authority of Scripture in the Christian life, what we've done is we've tried to approach the Bible and, and just kind of quoted it and said, well, I'm just reading the Bible literally. I'm reading it literally. You're not. You're doing strange things with it. You're talking about symbolism. You're, you're talking about all this. But, but is that true? Well, no. Why? Well, because there's different genres in the Bible. So a faithful view of Scripture isn't to read it literally. You and I don't do that all the time. We don't when we know the rules of genre in the Bible. The goal instead is to read the Bible literarily, that that all language requires interpretation. We know that living in our very bilingual city here. All language requires interpretation. Um, and honestly, I think this first view, this kind of golden tablet view of scripture is a crisis of faith waiting to happen. And we've seen it often. You know, one first year, college Bible literature class or one podcast questioning uh, the, the believer's view of scripture is enough to take this entire view and crush somebody with it. And it's sad when we see it happen because it actually comes at scripture with not only an unrealistic, but actually an untrue view of what scripture is. And then the other camp, why it's also kind of dangerous is that the, the camp of just, well, the Bible's human opinions or perspectives about God. What What ends up happening there is that that view ignores the uniquely divine character of Scripture. And it kind of just puts it on the, the, the table with all other religious perspectives and holy books across history. Well, these are all just kind of um, view, human views about the divine and who God is and what God's like. And that ends up being really fueled by postmodernism, right? But what this does is it doesn't take the Bible and actually examine it for the uniqueness that it is, that it has, that it actually does reveal the divine character truly uh, across history. And it brings us into relationship and invites us into relationship with the one true God. And so what happens in that view and that camp is really, we end up with a God made in our image instead of a God that has revealed himself to us as his image bearers. So that's very important. That's just a way to kind of introduce us to that tension as we begin the series. Because it's very important to understand that, that Jesus actually holds those two things in tension perfectly, as Jesus does, right? Perfectly, the divine and the human aspects of scripture. And last, we'll kind of wrap up with this this morning. Jesus approaches the Bible and relates to the Bible, not just um, for what it is, but for who it points to. Jesus is constantly reading the Bible in light of who he is. That's Jesus's point. There's, there's many times where Jesus does this, but John five is the best example of that where he's talking to the religious teachers and he says this, you search the scriptures, okay, the book, because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. For Jesus, scripture is a library that points to and finds its climax in him, that the Old Testament anticipates him and the New Testament points back to him. It points to his kingdom rule with him as king. And and, and it allows us to understand that scripture isn't just um, something to be studied, but it's actually something that invites us to know not just knowledge and information, but a person, a personal God. Again, the nerdy term for that is Christocentric, centered on Christ. And we're going to do that throughout the series. What does it look like to read the Bible with Christ at the center? How do we do that with the different genres? How do we see Christ being anticipated by all those different um, passages and genres in scripture? What this means for you and I is that the Bible actually And in fact, will leave some of your questions intentionally unanswered. Why? Well, because it's leading us to the one who has the answers. So it's not bad to ask questions. The Bible does have lots of answers about things. Absolutely. But the Bible also does intentionally leave some of our questions unanswered. And not only that, the Bible actually shows up and questions the answers that we do have. It questions our ways. It questions our views. It questions how we live our lives. Why? Because it's inviting us into relationship with Jesus, who is the way, uh, the truth, and the life. And that's everything that Jesus is getting at in this passage. He's saying that you can actually read the scriptures. You can know a lot about the Bible. You can get degrees in the Bible. You can even be a Bible teacher that people listen to and quote from and actually miss the entire point of the Bible, which is Jesus Christ himself. God made flesh, the word that came to us. We gotta be really careful with that. A few verses later in this same passage in John 5, in verse 42, Jesus actually says to the religious teachers, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Now that's really interesting because Jesus just kind of criticized them for the way they are reading the Bible, but then he gets to the heart of the matter. He goes deeper and he says, actually, it's because you don't have the love of God within you. It's not your methods. It's not that you're kind of coming at the Bible with, with poor interpretive methods. You actually got guys, you know, lots about the Bible. You're interpreting the Bible a lot and you're doing it well and you're studying and you know it. I mean, you can, you can quote it. It's amazing. But what he's saying is he's actually pointing to the posture, the heart posture that we need to have when we approach the Bible. Because we can study the Bible and know a lot about the Bible and not have the right posture towards the Bible. And what that ends up doing is it creates this this rift, this inability to see the Bible not as the, the end, but as a means to an end. That the Bible actually is a means to an end and that end is relationship with and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that all of scripture Points to his scope, his beauty, his work, his kingdom. The gospel is the climax and culmination of everything across the pages of scripture. And the reason why that's a big deal and the reason why that's exciting is because it's good news. And it's good news for today. It's good news for every day. And this radically different posture that Jesus encourages us to have is the exact same posture I want us to have throughout this series. That I don't want us to approach the the Bible as judge and jury over it, but I want us to approach the Bible as students of it coming to hear it, coming to see it and understand it on its terms and in its terms. And maybe, just maybe, we'll, we'll discover that what we don't understand about the Bible might be because there's something we don't know. Or that you and I, it's possible, we don't have the full picture of history and reality. I know, hard to believe. But maybe the answer t- to some of our questions are, are there. We just haven't seen them yet. So I want this to be an encouragement. I want this to be an invitation into this series together. And just for us to see that the purpose of the Bible is to point us to and bring us to relationship with Jesus. It's the means to the true end, which is to find our life in him. And that's what I want us to focus on as we kind of leave today and we just kind of go back into it. I want that to be your posture. And just like Paul reminds Timothy about the sacred writings, he says, they're able to make you wise for what? Not just for knowledge, but for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's my prayer for for us. That's my prayer for you, that we would be able to approach scripture And that it would make us wise. It would equip us, what? Not just to know stuff, but to know the one that we were made for. To come into an encounter that changes all of our life because we've met the author of life who has absolutely revealed himself through scripture, but ultimately only as a way to show us that he is the living God who wants to give each of us life. Let me pray for you and for me to that end. God, we're so thankful that we get to hold this, that we actually get to approach scripture and we get to approach this library of writings that that you in an amazing, just powerful and crazy way have inspired and spoken through. We just pray for this series. I pray for all of us this morning, as we contemplate this, as we kind of leave this and go back into the Bible, that you would give us the right posture, that you'd help us to understand what the Bible is, and the purpose of the Bible as us bringing us, bringing us to you, Jesus. So we just come and we come with a posture of humility, not with one of criticism, not with one of skepticism, or we come with one of curiosity, honest with our questions, honest with our challenges, but also open for you to change us at a heart level and invite us to know you. We love you, we need you, and ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.